Good morning. God, I'm, I'm fired up. This is the best week of the year for hoops. I understand a lot of you like the NCAA tournament, but here's what I like. You remember that feeling where you were skipping school back in the day? You know, when you had a dentist appointment and your mom and dad said, hey, you don't need to go back to school. You don't need to head back there. Nothing going on there. Well, that's what this week is because you're going to be sitting around and you're going to be doing nothing. Maybe you're in the office and all of a sudden you're going to click on and there's going to be college hoops on in the afternoon. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to lie to you. This is my week. My goal this week is to win $5,000. I'm just telling you, 5K. Now, we started yesterday and we're already up $450. So 5K minus 450 is whatever it is. Lee, what's 5K minus 450? Uh, 45.50. That's what we're going to make this week. We're walking out of here a week from today up. Five grand, and we're up. What'd I say I was up? I don't know. 45.50. So I'm up 450. Actually, I'm up more than that, but I rounded it down. All right, that's what we're going to do today. That's number one. Number two, let's recap what happened. Hey, look, how about the game North Carolina and Duke? All right, there's a lot to unpack here. But let's start with the environment of the game. There was, and I, this is where I won a lot of money, there was no chance Duke's players were going to be able to come out and play well in that game. I'm sorry, there was just none. You get exhausted. You got 90 former players standing there. You got a distraction here. Everybody's showing up. There is no chance that Duke's players, so all I bet was the first half. I didn't necessarily think Duke was going to lose, but let me go into this. You're used to, by this time, a routine. You're used to, this is what happens, then this, then this, then we play the game, then after the game, we'd... you're just so used to it. And all of a sudden, you've got 90 former players, guys at practice, guys showing up, Coach K having to go here, here blah, blah, blah. No. I loved the Coach K Love Me Tour. I did. I thought it was great, and I thought it was fine, and I thought it was necessary because Coach K deserved that. I got no problem with that whatsoever. None. I made fun of it, but I thought it was pretty cool. And then I thought the fact that people paid stupid amounts of money to sit in a 90-degree gym and watch two teams play basketball, I thought that was pretty cool, too. I thought the whole thing was cool. Adam Silver sitting there being all Adam Silver, Jerry Seinfeld because, you know, he's got little earplugs because it's too loud. All good. Whoever the hell Kim Jong is, although he did jump out of the back of a car in... uh, in the hangover, and it was an epic move. But anyway, it was fantastic. It really was. Um, the game itself was fantastic. Let's be honest. I, I'll keep using the word fantastic because, frankly, there was nothing wrong with the game. But it was an impossible situation for Duke's players. Uh, Jay kind of said it, and I'll give Jay Bill his credit, because Jay knew it was an impossible situation. But Jay didn't want to say that. He mentioned it, but he didn't want to say that at the end of the game because it took away from what our North Carolina's players achieved, which was the best win in this rivalry non-championship division. Now, it really was. But let's talk about how the team played. Listen to this. You had one, two, three, four guys scored 20 points or more for North Carolina. Now, I contend this, 
And remember I said this. I contend Banchero is probably the most talented player. I said Jaden Ivey's the number one pick, not anymore. I would take Paolo Banchero way ahead of Jaden Ivey. Not way ahead, but I'd take him ahead. Second, guys, is Mark Adams. I'll take Mark Adams any day of the week. Or Mark Williams. Excuse me, not Mark Adams. Mark Adams is a friend of mine. Mark Williams. I'll take Mark Williams any day of the week. There's a really good team. I think it's a great Duke team, but they did win the ACC. So this is an unbelievable win. Let's say that. I mean, incredible win, but just an untenable situation. I, I, seriously, untenable for Duke's players. And I think Gottlieb will, um, will go along with me on this. Look, man, you're just, again, you're just so used to routine. All right, so now you've got Duke only shooting. When's the last time this happened? Listen to this. Duke only shot eight free throws, made six. North Carolina, 19 of 22. And oh, by the way, oh, by the way, that's a Duke. That never happens. I got a lot of hoops to get into. You guys on the YouTube chat, I'll get to the Cornhuskers. I promise you I will. I'll get there. No question. What a win. We had some unbelievable, unbelievable efforts yesterday. One of them, well, well, let me stop. Hang on. I got to go back to Duke's, Duke's children assistant coaches. I really liked Chris Carowell, one of Duke's assistants, when I recruited him and Lauren Woods out of St. Louis. The coach of their high school had grown up in Gary, Indiana, Coach Thomas. And he was great. Jahidi White, Lauren Woods, Chris Carowell, all from the same high school. I thought we were going to get uh, Jahidi White. I thought uh, Lauren Woods committed to me, and Carowell was always too smart. He understood Coach Knight might not have been for him. But having said that, so the game's over. And I don't know what precipitated this, but I've been telling you for weeks now, get rid of this dumbass handshake line. So Duke's two little children assistant, Chris Carowell, who I don't think is a child, but Nolan Smith I absolutely think is a child. Nolan Smith, nice player, all that. But Nolan Smith, uh, I'm not even sure what he's doing there. But anyway, uh, Carowell doesn't shake hands with Hubert Davis. Now, you got to understand something. Hubert Davis is one of the all-time nicest guys. He and LaFonso Ellis uh, and my wife are the three nicest people that I know. And my mother. My mother's off the charts. But anyway, they're the three nicest people, and Carowell gives them this nonsense. Just walks right by them. Chicken shit stuff, really. Not surprising, because assistant coaches don't know how to act anymore. Let's be honest. People don't know how to act. All weekend, I was getting all this hate from Purdue people. And I would look at their bios, and you know who a lot of them were? Teachers. If teachers don't know how to act on Twitter, how do children, kids, know how to act on Twitter? If coaches don't know how to act, how do players know how to act? And clearly these two clowns from Duke, Carowell and Nolan Smith, don't know how to act. Nolan Smith gave them this. But that's Nolan Smith. We expect that. Uh, Here's the deal. Walk like a man Get your ass beat, even if you don't like the guy. You know what? Walk like a man. Now, here's also the deal. I'm going to be the only morning show that talks about this. I guarantee you could turn on any because there's no, I mean, and this is dangerous territory, all right? But there's no villain. You think those guys in the morning show are going to say either Nolan Smith, Chris Carowell are a villain? No. Greg Gard. Why? You know why. 
You know why Greg Gard's considered the villain. White guys are too afraid to criticize. And of course, you know, it had to be Greg Gard that did it with Juwan Howard. It's amazing, really. There's no villain. Billis and the rest, no big deal. Of course it's no big deal. There's nobody to blame. Howard actually got defended for a chicken blank overhead right. Actually, if you think about it, freaking, there's no villain here. Those guys on the morning show are so afraid. White guys are so afraid. What you can do at ESPN is you can criticize, not behavior. You are not allowed to criticize behavior. You can criticize play, but not behavior. And you see it all the time. You saw it today. Not one person's going to say a damn thing about that. And it was as chicken blank, frankly, as what was Juwan Howard. It just wasn't as because Howard swung and then went, you know, he says south side of Chicago. Yeah, okay. And he, you know, backed up behind his players. These two clowns couldn't even look a man in the eye. The brotherhood, baby, of Duke. Yeah. What a bunch of crap. But you're not going to hear one thing. And you know what? You're not allowed. You're not allowed to say behavior. Only performance. Well, their behavior sucked. And it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing for Duke. It's embarrassing for Kay. And I haven't seen anywhere where anybody has said a word about it. But we all know the deal. You got to have a guy like Guard out there. You got to have Guard. I mean, if you got Guard, you know, if that were, uh, I don't know, then it'll be a different deal. We know. We know. We know. But anyway, at the end of the day, Coach K, his Love Me Tour, fantastic. That's what he wanted. Roy Williams did Roy Williams. He just went out humbly. K wanted everybody to love him. Wanted everybody to love him. Everybody. Love me. Love me. I'm K. Yeah, all right. Yeah. We know. You got to have an antagonist. Got to have a villain. Uh, Kentucky women. Wow. Cal Perry and the stands are down 15. Now, remember, women play four quarters. They play four quarters, so they're down 15 in the third quarter, and Kentucky women came storming back. How about the Kentucky women? How about at one point, February 10th, listen to this, they were 2-8. and 2-8 and eight in the league. Now, I got to tell you, they were 9-11 overall. Congratulations to the women of Kentucky. Dre Edwards, you are sensational. 27 points, 10, uh, 8 rebounds. And not only that, hit the game winner against the number one team in the country. And you know what? Dawn Staley was awesome after the coach of South Carolina. She was absolutely awesome. You know, she said, I'm really happy for Kentucky. She was great. Obviously, she's pissed off. Of course she is. But you know what? Good for Dawn Staley. See, Kay usually handles it pretty well. Kay's a bad loser, but we're all bad losers. But when little assistance, that is so typical of little assistant coaches. I just rambled there. I'm not even sure. Piece it together, hopefully, outkick and make something good of it. But what a bunch of crap that was. And I don't even get mad about that stuff. I don't even get mad a little bit about that stuff. I don't blame Coach K for doing the See, maybe North Carolina shunned K by not giving him a gift. North Carolina's crowd was jackassery with the F-U-K. North Carolina and Indiana used to have classy crowds. Now they're all crap. But it was a great night for college hoops, 
ESPN, I guarantee you, their programmer might be fired. Let me speak on that. I had all my boys from ESPN texting me. Oh, man, how about this blank show? Typical, this kind of stuff. Now, look, I love ESPN. And if Lee Fitting ever becomes the head of basketball, I'm going back, whether he wants me to or not. But the programmer at ESPN that fit a game ahead of this game into a two-hour window? How stupid are you? The best part of the game was going to be the pregame when you had all the former Duke players and all the love and all the celebrity. And the, the game before went long, and it was a great game. Texas and Kansas. I guarantee you, you won't read about it. But as some very prominent ESPNers or former ESPNers were texting, typical ESPN now, not then, now, ever since you know, and man, somebody losing their job. Hey, go over to the deucer the app, huh? <laughs> oh, man. It's a love me tour for Coach K. Love me. Love me. Roy Williams just said, hey, man, you know what? It's time to go. Bob Knight just grabbed the kid. It was time to go. Uh, unbelievable effort yesterday by a couple of teams. Let me go number one, Wisconsin. I mean, Wisconsin, I'm, I'm sorry. Jeez, my wrong. Number one, Nebraska. Nebraska goes into Wisconsin. Nebraska has been a blank show. All of a sudden, Nebraska is on a three-game win streak. They just beat Ohio State, ranked team at Ohio State. Now they come into Wisconsin. I'm telling you, these senior nights are, are bad. They're bad. They're so distracting. I've seen it forever. Honest to God, I've seen teams play horrifically. When you mess up a rhythm this time of year, it is terrible. Wisconsin, all they had to do was get a win. And they are outright Big Ten champs. And all they had to do with a nine-point lead was get a bucket in the last five and a half minutes, and they couldn't do it. Credit Nebraska. Trey McGowan's leading score uh, out because I think he got the boot for knocking down Johnny Davis. Bryce McGowan's his brother, leading score out. And yet, Nebraska goes into as hard a place as there is in the country and wins. To that point, how about Michigan? How about Michigan going into Ohio State without Hunter Dickinson? No Hunter Dickinson, no problem. We're just going to go beat the Ohio State University. Hey, Phil Martelli, salute. Very nice. Purdue and Indiana, you know, Indiana fans are all excited because they actually played well. Well, they lost. Purdue is the favorite. Mark my words. We're going to win some money on Purdue winning the Big Ten championship uh, tournament. Purdue's the one team. There's no great teams in the Big Ten. Tom Izzo. Tom Izzo, we salute you. He just passed Bob Knight for all-time wins in the Big Ten. Man, I remember when Izzy was an assistant. And now he's the all-time winner in the Big Ten. Congratulations. That's awesome. Michigan State, good for you. How about this? How about the comeback last night by Illinois over Iowa? Iowa's playing great. No Connor McCaffrey or Patrick McCaffrey yesterday. He's sick. All of a sudden, wow. You want a sleeper team in the NCAA tournament? Illinois. But this Andre Cabello's got to stop being crazy. My man is crazy and fun, though. 
fun as hell. Very fun. Very, very fun. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a good time to watch Illinois. I'm not going to lie to you. It really is. But you got to understand, man, this dude is crazy. But Iowa's playing great, too. Minnesota stinks, but Iowa's playing great. I'm just trying to think in my head who's, who stinks. Rutgers, really good. Illinois, really good. Michigan State, you know it's March. You know it's Izzo. Michigan, Indiana feels like Indiana's got to win it to get in the tournament. I don't think Wisconsin's great. I think Wisconsin's just okay. I don't think they can make a Big Ten tournament run, but I've been wrong on Wisconsin the entire freaking year. Congratulations, conference champs. Hey, let's be honest. When Longwood, 25 wins. Loyola Chicago, new coach, youngest coach in Division I, I think, maybe not. But Denzel Valentine's brother, congratulations. Murray State in the top 22. Tickets are going to be punched. Those three are punched. I'm trying to get them all on our show here. We'll see. They're either going to be on this show here or on noon to three on my other show. What a great freaking weekend. And I can't wait to talk to Chad, and I cannot wait to talk to Doug Gottlieb about it. I can't wait. This is a great, fantastic weekend. But I'm telling you, there's a programmer at ESPN. Woo! How do you put that game in a two-hour window? And then it goes overtime. Woo! Baby, baby, but baby, baby. Ooh. Anyway, I'm all in on all of it. Give me all of it. Give me all this week. I'm fired up if you can't tell. Hey, let's take a little week in review. Did you see this? Let me walk you through something. Let me ask you guys on the YouTube chat. And let me ask you guys here on Twitter. Is LeBron James the greatest of all time? I, I never said so. I always said in my lifetime, Magic, or excuse me, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Michael Jordan, one and one A. But all of a sudden, man, all of a sudden, LeBron James is going to put up these stupid numbers. LeBron James, because it's desperation, can can still go drop 56 against a team that people consider, if not the favorite, one of the two or three favorites. For the NBA title. LeBron James basically said, screw all this. Let's go. I got to tell you, man. By the time he's done, the things that he will have done are going to be up there, if not surpassing everybody. Then it's just a personal preference. But my God, when you can just get pissed off, as he said, and desperate, I don't know, man. I got to tell you. It feels like LeBron James might just have, might just be in the conversation. Now, I understand if you just go with if you just go with records and numbers, there's nobody top touching Will Chamberlain. I mean, the dude averaged 50 and 25. Stop it, stupid. But damn, James is getting it done. Did you know this? Did you know that Jason Tatum of the Boston Celtics? who lit up Kevin Durant for 54 points, is only 24 years old. Did you know that? It seems like Jason Tatum has been in the NBA since McGinnis, since frickin', uh, I don't know, Lloyd B. Free. Throwing some names out at you. Billy Cunningham, Walt Frazier, 
Clyde the Glide, my personal favorite, Bob Love. I swear to God, this kid's been in the NBA forever. He drops 54. If the Celtics are serious about winning, they're going to have to figure out who these other guys are. Like Jalen Brown, it seems to be a pain in the ass. Marcus Smart seems to be a pain in the ass. You better build around this 24-year-old, and you better figure it out fairly quick. I mean, what are we doing? Jason Tatum, I said back when he was the third pick in the draft, I don't even know who was one or two now. I said, that's the player of the draft. Uh, NBA guys, come on, bring it. I'll help you with your draft. As my boy the Bear from ESPN says, how are you always right on all these things? I don't know. I study. But I'm 24 years old. I want you to think about that. 24 years old. That's all Jason Tatum is. Jeez. It's unbelievable. I got people arguing on Facebook. I got people arguing on Twitter. I got everybody losing their minds over a tweet. I'll share the tweet with you later on. I mean, I got women coming at me from Purdue. I got guys coming at me. I mean, I got everybody coming at me over a simple Purdue tweet. But I got more to talk about. So Tatum drops 20, uh, 54, right? LeBron drops 56. But you know what else happened this weekend? And apparently this is a big deal, and I want your thoughts on this. I'm going to the YouTube chat. When I want people's thoughts, I'm going to YouTube and looking up Don't At Me. I know it's raucous in there. I want your thoughts on this. Does this matter to you? Does it matter to you that this was, this past week, hey, hey, this was the fastest combine we've ever had? Now, I'm going to say it again, YouTubers, AJ and Nick and Jim Reed, Van Pasterman, uh, My Holy King. We're starting to get a bunch of people here. The show's starting to take off. Brad Buffington, of course, the cash man on here. Follow the cash man. Subscribe to the cash man if you want winners. Coco. But here's the deal. Does it matter to you that this was the fastest combine? Like, football is year-round. We know this. You love it. I love it. We all love it. But let me go through this. There were 40-yard dash records. Let me go through. The average 40-yard speed was 4.71. That's the fastest ever for an average at the NFL combine. 31 people ran a sub-4-4-40. 31. Now, that's the most ever. It was the fastest position groups of running backs, wide receivers, offensive line, defensive line. I can't read my writing. Linebacker and defensive backs. Now, let me ask you a question. Those are the ones you want fast. It's, uh, does that matter? Uh Chris Sullivan says, can't get enough of it. Can't get enough. Here's why I ask. This is going back, man, 1999-2000. Urban Meyer, young head coach of the Bowling Green State University Falcons. We're sitting on my back porch. I had been the basketball coach here. We had just won a championship. So he's on his first job. We're talking coaching and all this. I go, what's the problem with, with Bowling Green is you take it over and you evaluate. And he says, no speed. 
I said, what are you going to do? And I've told this story many times. He said, I'm going to the Ohio track meet, Indiana track meet, and I'm offering scholarships to kids, two kids that win the 100, the 200, the 400, and the relays. I'm offering every one of them a football scholarship. That's it. I got to get fast and I got to get quick. I, I got to get it quick. I go, well, if they don't know how to play football, he goes, we'll teach them. I think two of the kids, I think Steve Sanders ended up in the NFL. I think with the Browns, I could be wrong. But that's the importance of speed, at least as Urban was explaining to me. And I would argue over Urban's national championships, you never saw a team that wasn't fast. I mean, I would think, I, I don't think. That's a really, really big deal. So at the end of the day, I think those numbers are important. I, I, yeah, A.J. Jenkins says this absolutely right. On the, on the chat, I, guys don't play to their 40 speed. Nick says doesn't matter. I kind of think it does. It's a reason here in Indianapolis you don't see our, our vaunted left guard, Quentin Nelson, play left tackle. He can't do it. Others have. Chris Hinton was drafted like third or fourth in the draft as a guard, went to left tackle, became a, a Hall of Famer. So at the end of the day, uh, I think it matters. I think it matters for your team. I, would, I hope the Colts get one of these really fast wide receivers. I don't even give a damn if he can catch. Teach him how to catch. Get him on the jugs gun. Put those thumbs together. Isn't that it? I don't know. Yeah, you got to have some skills, Sean Black. There's no question about that. Hey, I don't know about you. And you can get mad at me all you want. But I have said this forever. I have said this forever, and I know there are other issues now. But here's the three things I want out of a president, and I'm not going to lie to you. I don't give a damn if it's a Republican. I don't give a damn if it is a Democrat. These are the three things. Now, it's changed. I get it. But I'm giving you my historical three things. One, keep gas prices down. Now, y'all going to argue the president doesn't do that. Well, somehow, someway, Trump had it at a buck 96. I know supply and demand. I know all of the excuses. I don't care the excuses. I don't want excuses. I want gas prices down. You may differ. And if you differ, wonderful. Everybody should have an opinion in this country. Great. Good for you. But I want gas prices down. Two, ever since Jimmy Carter, back when I was a kid with a driver's license and gas went from like 26, 28 cents to 88 cents at the gas station across the street uh, from the Y&W, which was the outdoor movie theater where we used to go in the back rows. And you know, I'm telling you, ever since then, and the word inflation and gas lines and, no, and milk costing $8 zillion, I haven't even heard of it since actually Reagan got rid of it. Now what do we got? We got inflation. Third thing, stock market. I assume, I think, I haven't checked, but the stock market's okay. It went up at first. Why? Because it was coming off a terrific economy. The jobs report was fine. But I don't want to hear it. Oh, yeah. I forgot, Dylan. I'm sorry. I'm going to switch this around. But gas prices right now, I just paid four bucks for a gallon of gas. Total crap. I don't care about mean tweets. I don't care who he may have stooped in the back. There is no president out here that has any moral freaking value to him. None. Zero. None. Hey, you're all, you're all old people. Your favorite JFK was stooping everything in the building. Hell, they say Nixon was. 
Don't even get me started on Clinton. George H.W., whatever the hell, Bush, uh, the old one was having supposedly a forever affair, and the young one was a coke addict. Don't get me started on presidents being the moral freaking compass. They ain't of me. They can be of you. They're not of me. They are not my moral compass. I don't give a rat's ass what a president did 15 years ago or what he said to Billy Bush. I don't give a damn what he tweets. You know what I give a damn about? Gas prices, because it affects me. Inflation, because it affects us. And the stock market. That's it. Now, you can say protecting the company, country, damn right. You can tell me the president has nothing to do with gas prices. Well, then why did the Democrats brag when gas prices went down, brag on the president? Don't even get me started. I am not listening. It's crazy. I don't give a damn if you're, I'm not a Republican. I'm not a Democrat. I'm common sense. I'm the commissioner. And all of a sudden, well... Orange man, bad. Okay. All I know is this. When I went to the pump, it was under two bucks. Ten minutes later, it's four bucks, and this guy can't speak. And the lady behind him loses her face to the right. Jeez. And all of a sudden, when all of these Russian and all these fake-ass things, they've gotten debunked. Oh, guess what? Russia feels comfortable enough to go invade. I didn't feel that comfortable when it was frickin' Trump in there, and I ain't even a Trump guy. They weren't all that they weren't all that comfortable for that action. Clay tweeted out last night, and everybody lost their mind. Uh, if this is terrible, no, this is true. Listen, it's asinine what's going on here. And I saw this last night. America is simultaneously giving Russia over twenty-five million dollars a day in oil and gas purchases while committing billions to the Ukraine offense. That means the Biden administration is funding both sides of the war. But you all somehow defend that. Fine. Oil just hit $130 a barrel. It was right there. I mean, if you, people are like, well, it doesn't open. No, it was right there for you to see last night. Uh, oil just hit $130 a barrel when the market opened overseas just now. This is 12 hours ago. That's the highest price of oil in 13 years. The fact that the Biden administration dialed back our oil and gas production in this country over Green New Deal policies is yet another management disaster. So you know what happened? Of course, everybody goes and uh, bitches about something about Trump. I don't care about Trump. I care about what we're doing here. You know it's going to be $5 a gallon. You know it is. You can hate on anybody you want, man. You can hate because they're not on your side. They're not Democrats, so I hate them. They're not Republicans, so I hate them. All that shows is you're a freaking idiot that can't think for themselves. It's unbelievable. Uh, Aaron Rodgers has suitors. Chad Withrow joins us next. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Hey, Globetrotter, you don't get a... You, if you watch with nothing happening till 11, I would send you a free T-shirt. But we got Chad Withrow on. It's been a minute. All right. 
All right, a little technical problems in the dockage basement. And by the way, I don't like you guys discussing how I, uh, how, how, uh, I married a woman like Lee. That's, you know, I mean, she's lucky to have me, so just stop it. Chad, how are you, my I'm doing friend? Great, Dan, and it's funny how that works. You know, everyone always talks about me outkicking my coverage also uh, with my wife, Angie. Uh, and I'm always thinking, don't you know that that's an insult uh, to me? Just like it's an insult to you as well. Well, it's a nice compliment to our wives. You know, it's also a little bit of a shot at us. So I'm fully with you on that. Stop taking shots at us. You can compliment our wives without I taking a shot at us also, right? Yeah. I mean, hey, look. I mean, I, I tell my wife all the time, you're lucky to have all this. <laughs> Stop it. You look. All right, hey, um, our boy Clay Travis is saying uh, if, if the Packers listen, the Titans will be involved here along with the Broncos and the Steelers. What say you about that? Well, it would make sense that the Packers wouldn't want to trade Aaron Rodgers to an NFC team. And if you're looking at uh, teams that could be a quarterback away from being a, a legitimate Super Bowl contender, I would put those three at the top of the list. And I think the Titans are a, a classic example of saying, quote, unquote, the right things and saying what they should say right now, like they did at the Combine, while also exploring every possible avenue to improve as a football team. And that's exactly what they're doing. You'd be foolish not to look in the po into the possibility of replacing Ryan Tannehill with Aaron Rodgers, if you can do it. Now, for a team like the Titans, I think the biggest challenge is – getting the Packers to take on Ryan Tannehill's uh, contract. Because even if they were to, to trade, bring him in, and then cut him, you're looking at so much dead money that that's going to be an issue for the Packers or, or anyone else. The Broncos are interesting because I don't see the Broncos as that good of a football team right now. Now, would Aaron Rodgers make them a playoff team? Sure. Would they be a, a sleeper Super Bowl contender with him at quarterback? Sure. But if I'm looking at better are at the top of that list. If I'm Aaron Rodgers and I'm picking where I want to go, Titans are at the top of that list, followed by, I think, a, a good little bit behind would be Pittsburgh and then Denver somewhere behind Pittsburgh. So this is going to be the excitement of the offseason to see where some of these quarterbacks end up or if they end up staying put. Yeah, see, I'm throwing my Colts in there because apparently we're done with uh, Wentz. I don't know. I had, I had the – GM on. It sounds to me like we're done. So bring Rodgers here. Give him Quentin Nelson. Give him freaking Darius Leonard. And let's go. And see, if, if you put the Colts in there, Dan, I, I'm with you. I would make that list. Again, if I'm just Aaron Rodgers saying, where can I go and win the Super Bowl? If I'm getting traded to an AFC team that legitimately wants to trade me or to bring me in, I'm going Titans, Colts, Steelers, Broncos in that order. And I was talking, I was actually at a buddy's bachelor party in Tampa over the weekend, and we had this conversation when this report came out. And I threw your Colts in there as a sleeper. They were asking me, what do you think, where could he go? And I immediately thought Indianapolis, because you had the interview last week. But to me, it's pretty clear they're done with Carson Wentz. And that's a more tenable contract situation than Ryan Tannehill, if, if the Packers were to trade and bring in a quarterback. Uh, so I would put the Colts on that list as well. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, you got to trade. They don't have a first-round pick, so that's not going to be involved. All right, I got to get into your Vols here. Your Vols had a big lead. They hung on and won. It was tough with Arizona. It was. It was tough. 
little sweat going on there? No doubt. Uh, we were at a sports bar uh, watching that Tennessee-Arkansas game um, with some other Tennessee grads, and there were some Arkansas grads next to us at a bar in Tampa. Uh, and it got a little tight there in the end, Dan, not, not going to lie. Uh, the mood <laughs> of that bar, the, the two different tables really shifted with about eight minutes left in that game when Arkansas <laughs> made a run. Uh, and it got a little bit more panicked at our side of the table. Um, but look, all, all kidding aside, we saw all of Tennessee in that game. The first half of that game was Tennessee of the last month offensively. Dan, you talk about moving not just the ball, but moving people. That's what Tennessee will do when they're at their best. They were moving the ball. It was crisp. Their, their assist to made field goal ratio is amazing. They look great in that first half. They're hot from three. They're doing everything right offensively. The energy feeds more energy, and they look great. And then with about seven minutes left in the game, Tennessee doesn't score a basket for the final seven, seven and a half minutes of that game. They hit some free throws uh, late to secure the win, uh, but they can't score. Uh, and that's that's the crazy thing about this Tennessee team. Everyone has slumps within games, and they're going to go a stretch where they're not very good offensively. Tennessee just has a propensity to have these really elongated scoring droughts. And we saw that at the end of the game against Arkansas. And look, Arkansas is just that team right now. If anyone was going to erase a 24-point deficit and make it a game in the end, it was going to be Arkansas. And they got hot, and they started being Arkansas that we've seen really since mid-January. Uh, the way this team has played. So didn't surprise me that Arkansas made a run. It did surprise me they got as close as they did in the end, but also doesn't surprise me that Tennessee remained undefeated on the season at home and finishes uh, the season undefeated at home. So I look at both Tennessee and Arkansas as, as dangerous, you know, sweet 16, elite eight type capable teams. Yeah, I do too. I, I, I do. This is going to be, I think, a great week of conference tournaments. And I think this might be from top to bottom as good as the SEC tournament's ever been. I really do. I, I, I like every team in there. Georgia stinks. But I like every team in there damn near. I, I'm with you. And those top four specifically, you know, the teams with a double bye. Ooh. Auburn, Ooh. Tennessee, Kentucky, Arkansas in that order. And then some of the possible matchups after that with Alabama, uh, with LSU, uh, it, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a fun week. I, I was one week off on my little trip to Tampa. I should have gone down this next week. That's where the SEC tournament will be played. Uh, but I, I'm with you, Dan. I, I can't remember a more well-balanced top four in the SEC getting ready for an NCAA tournament with, with a chance to go on a big run. And all four of those teams have pretty much every component you would think of for a team that could do some damage in, in the NCAA tournament. So – the SEC got serious about basketball. The SEC was getting their butt whipped uh, by the Big Ten and other conferences probably seven, eight years ago, and they made a concerted effort to go out and spend money on great coaches within the SEC. A lot of them have worked. Some of them have not. Tom Crean, Ben Hallen come to mind, big names that have not worked out at their respective schools. But for the most part, that commitment to basketball has paid off big time, and the SEC is as good as any, any conference in America. I agree. I, I, I agree. Let me go back. Let me go back. There's a lot of talk about this, and I, I care because it's indie, but apparently uh, all of these writers, whether it's Rappaport or all these guys are saying, hey, you got to keep the combine in indie. I'm for keeping the combine in indie, but it ain't going to stay in indie because other cities want it. The combine would be great in Tennessee, I assume, right? I mean, I, is this a deal? Is this a big deal? Well, look, when the, the – 
I heard from every NFL person that came, came to my city, and they said, this is the perfect NFL draft location. It's never going to get any better than this. The way they had it outside on Lower Broadway, and it stretched all the way to the arena uh, on Broadway with people that gathered for the NFL draft. And I'm thinking, well, hell, let's just keep it here every year. You know, if Indy gets the combine every year, let's just make Nashville the home of the NFL draft. If it's the perfect location, let's never move away uh, from the NFL draft in Nashville. Uh, now, that's not going to happen. Why is that not going to happen? Because a lot of cities are bidding and vying for an NFL draft. And I'm shocked that we don't have more cities that want that event because that combine is something. And it's a great, uh, great thing for whoever hosted. And we only really know about it in Indy. And, and I'm with you, Dan, on this. I think it's a great spot for it in Indy. And, and people that cover it love it because they know the city and they know everywhere they need to be within that downtown corridor uh, of the convention center and uh, the stadium and St. Elmo's and everywhere they go to eat at night. Everyone likes the familiarity and the comfort of having it in Indy, but it only makes sense to move this thing out. I don't know that LA makes a ton of sense. I know LA and Vegas have been mentioned as possible destinations, but I mean, name any number of other NFL cities uh, where this event would make sense. And I, I think there's a bunch of them. So yeah, I think it's it's destined to move at some point, but I would hope that at least Indy would be a once every two or three year rotation where you don't completely put it out for bid and go to a different city every year. Let's keep Indy in there, you know, every other year and just mix and match with some other cities. Yeah, people in Indy are going to get mad at me for saying that, but I understand the reality of it. I mean, and look, I, you're right. Indianapolis is easy. You walk. You know, it, it, and people always talk about St. Elmo's, but right next to it is Harry Nizzi's, right next to it is Ruth Chris. You know what I mean? It's all it's all right there, and you don't have to even – you don't have to get in your car. It's not a long walk. You know, it, it's convenient, but I understand the politics and the money of it all. I mean, you might as well spread it around. And once Ike and Jonesy's left, the bar where all the coaches and GMs and assistant coaches and GMs used to slip off their wedding ring and go dance, you know – I. Once that thing left, it lost a little bit of its appeal. What are your thoughts on the combine? It's the fastest combine ever. Does that matter? What, what, what are your thoughts overall in general on this draft, starting with the combine? I, I, asked, I asked about the combine. What are your thoughts overall on the combine? Yeah, yeah. Look, I – I thought, you know, speed was a big part of it, especially defensive lineman, edge rusher. Um, the fact that almost every single, uh, you know, uh, receiver in this, in, this, in this class can run. Hey, guys, back in studio, can you, can you please be quiet for a second? I can't, I can't hear anything as it comes through my computer. Um, yeah, look, I thought that speed was the big element, right? Defensive line, edge rusher, receiver, um, all of those positions really shine. And I think going in, isn't a very good quarterback draft class, right? Uh, this is a very underwhelming quarterback draft class. And then I come out of this weekend, I'm hearing about, you know, maybe four quarterbacks going in the first round. Uh, and everybody, all the talk about Kenny Pickett's hand size and everything else. Uh, look, I think Malik Willis did very well for himself at this, especially in meetings uh, with teams, a lot of good reviews about him. I think Kenny Pickett's the best of this class. Desmond Ritter at Cincinnati was the workout warrior. He was the star with all the measurables and athleticism at this combine. Um, I think uh, Matt Corral is going to be a first-rounder. 
before all is said and done. So I do think that this quarterback class was probably undervalued a bit. Uh, I don't think there's a bunch of stars here, but I do think there will be three solid starters for NFL teams that come out of this draft class. So speed at defensive line, speed at receiver, and I think quarterback position maybe being a bit undervalued uh, were my big takeaways from this NFL combine. Yeah, look, speed kills, man. Speed, speed, and more speed. I mean, you got if you don't have it, you, you can't make up for it. You can't scheme again. I just remember Tyreek Hill running a crossing route. Next thing you know, he beats an entire defense. You know, you know what I mean? I don't know. You go get a bunch of fast dudes. All right, two questions, and they're kind of – Aaron Rodgers, does he start at quarterback for the, for the Packers opening day? I hope not. Uh, I hope he starts for the Tennessee Titans on opening day. But if I'm if I'm putting money down right, <laughs> right. now, it's the Packers. I mean, I think everything else is a bit of a long shot. I think we want to read into every single report. I think what if the reports are true, what the Titans, uh, what the Broncos, what Pittsburgh, what possibly Indy is doing and looking into a trade for Aaron Rodgers is the right thing to do. And they should be asking about it and should be trying to make it happen. Uh, but I kind of always err on the side of, if you're a franchise that has a great quarterback and one of the all-time greats that's playing at an all-time great level and as a back-to-back NFL MVP, you hold on to that quarterback at all costs. So if I had to put money down right now, I'm saying Aaron Rodgers remains a Packer. Ryan Tannehill then remains a Titan? I think Tannehill remains a Titan too. Look, to me, that's the option for the Titans. It's either make a trade for Aaron Rodgers or some other big-time quarterback if Russell Wilson miraculously becomes available. Um, if not, you're, you're holding put with Ryan Tannehill. And you continue to put on a good face and say what John Robinson said at the Combine, that, hey, <laughs> he's a really good quarterback. We can go back and look at the film. He made a lot of good plays. Yes, that playoff game and the last two playoff performances were not good, but we're willing to take the chance and hope that he improves because that's really all you can do if you're the Titans because – Drafting one of these quarterbacks and rolling a rookie out there is also not a very good option. It's to me, it's trade for Aaron Rodgers, or then start. You know, reserve yourself to you got to start Tannehill. Those are really the options right now for Titans. Appreciate you, man. Have a great show this afternoon. Thanks for coming on. Hey Dan, th- thanks, buddy. Always fun. Appreciate appreciate you, and uh, thanks for having me on. Outkick 360 right there, Chad Withrow. I'm telling you, uh, 3 to 6 Eastern time, our time, 2 to 5. I always call it our time. I don't know how anybody else calls it, but I always call it our time. Like, you're part of us. There's two things that drive me nuts. When I say our time and then when people say, well, you know, dad died. And I'm like, who's dad? My dad? Your dad? Who's dad? Nitpicking. Uh, Speaking of college basketball, I've told you this before and I will tell you this again. Um, well, guess what? Nobody that I listen to other than Doug Gottlieb, Fran Fraschella, and the great Seth Greenberg, especially the great Seth Greenberg, Gottlieb joins us next. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. 
Priceline. Hey, welcome back. Uh, Doug Gottlieb joining us in a minute. Remember, it's 7 o'clock there, his time. All right, college hoops. Uh, I got a couple things. I want to go back to something as we reset the hour. And first, I want to thank all of you for joining us. We've had some monster numbers over the last couple weeks. And we're only going to continue to grow this. Look, I'm watching SportsCenter, and there is no way that anybody on SportsCenter or no one on these morning shows are ever going to talk about the Duke assistants acting like jackasses. Why? Because white guys are afraid. They are not allowed uh, on ESPN. They are so afraid. And, of course, there's no antagonist. There's no Greg Gard to blame it on for everyone else. So the truth of the matter is you won't hear about it, but when we look at college basketball, and I am a college basketball person, and people can disagree with me, I always thought your job as a coach was to lead. And I did act like a jackass numerous times, but I also knew when things were, uh, don't do that. When things were a little tense, don't do that. So Chris Carwell and Nolan Smith, you're not going to hear this anywhere else, act like complete children. Now, isn't Duke, doesn't Duke put themselves up here? Doesn't Duke put themselves at a level by which we are all not quite at? I mean, it's the brotherhood, the classy of Coach K. Why do you think Coach K holds his hand over his mouth? Because he is dropping F-bombs on players. Name me another coach that talks to players as much as K. There's nothing classy about this, and you saw it exposed the other night. Look, Nolan Smith did as soft a thing as you can possibly do, but I expect that out of Nolan Smith. I got no problem with that when he went, Doug Gottlieb is going to join us. Doug, how are you? I'm whining about Duke's handshake line. I thought you didn't want handshake lines. I thought that was your thing. You hated handshake lines. I don't want handshake. And that's, an, and that's another example. I mean, look, Doug, you went to Oklahoma State. Let's be honest. I went to Indiana. They give out yeah. degrees on the street corner at Oklahoma State <laughs> and at Indiana. Duke and Michigan... <laughs> Duke and Michigan are the bastion of higher education. And we got idiots at the front door, at the window of Duke that can't shake a hand. And we got idiots at Michigan that throw chicken blank over the, over the top punches. Who's leading our people these days, Doug? Who's leading us? Well, I I, want to know the the history to it because supposedly the Carolina guys had snubbed the Duke guys, and maybe Hubert had snubbed them in the past. I don't know. My interactions with Hubert Davis, there's like five guys I know that around college basketball <laughs> that are better human beings than anybody else. Hubert, Lafonso, uh, uh, Lafonso uh, Ellis is, is one of them. Clark Kellogg's another. Like, he just... You come into contact with me like, okay, dude, you're just a better person than I am. So I wouldn't, especially after you get your ass kicked yeah. on Coach K Day. Like, again, th- to me, this is the whole idea of a handshake. Even if you don't like the guy, even if you don't, whatever you do. Like, <laughs> he just came into your place when, and Jerry Seinfeld couldn't even get in the lower level, right? Couldn't get in the lower level. Seinfeld's up there. What's the deal with the second <laughs> level? Uh, uh, Adam Silver, who's a Duke alum, couldn't get in the lower level. And they come in and beat you. In your place, on Coach K Day, like that actually is like, hey man, you guys kicked our ass. That, I actually, I'm, I'm, I'm opposed to it, but I, I did think that was that was some weak sauce from, uh, from uh, who was it? It was, it was Nolan. Nolan did the no look, and then who did the who, who did the blow by? Um, Carowell. Oh, Chris Carowell did, Carowell did yeah. the. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, um, I said this earlier. I, I actually bet this, particularly the first half. I Look, you know this. as I'm going back to when you were a player. 
Forget about broadcast. Forget about pro. Just when you were a college player, by this time of year, you get in a certain rhythm. And all of a sudden, man, you got people in practice all week. You got Coach K distracted. You got 90 former players. I said this, there is no way that first half was going to go Duke's way. Now, I thought Duke would ultimately win the game, but I'm not surprised that they didn't, Doug, and I bet it that way. Uh, it's, it's funny because I was watching the game, and obviously it doesn't – it pales in terms of national importance and – but here's the comparison. My last – my senior night game – senior night is classic for this kind of thing, right? You and I have seen it where it's yes. not just that your family's in town – Right. You start a different lineup. Like, I don't know why coaches insist on doing that. Right. Like, well, he's a senior. So we'll start him. Like, well, you just had a ceremony for him. Like, you had to start him too and screw up your whole team. Um, but my, my, my senior night, we played Oklahoma. And if you go back and look, like, we beat Kansas by 33. We beat, I think, the same week, we beat Colorado by 50. And they were, they were decent. We beat Nebraska by 50. Like, we kicked everybody's ass in the old Gallagher Eye Arena. It was a 6,400-seat arena. So what they were doing was they were building a, a shell over the top of it. So there's another level. They went from 6,400 six, 6, to 13,6. It's, it's too big now. But the point was, the last game in Gallagher Eye, so you had, had senior night. We had seven seniors. We were a top-10 team. And then you had the last game of Gallagher Eye. You had all this hype. You have everybody around. But I, I don't – I would love to say – that that's the reason we lost, right? And that the distraction of it. But I, I don't know, having experienced it. So my last year, we lose to Oklahoma. We have a nine-point lead in the second half, and we choke it away. Uh, I had actually hit a couple shots, and I came down wide open. But instead, I got soft and decided to run a play for Glenn Alexander, our best shooter, who missed. He was a much better shooter than I was. But in that day, it was a wide-open shot that I'd worked on uh, uh, all day, with my brother who came to see one game. Right. So like, I'd love to put the blame on that stuff, but the blame's on me and blame's on all of us. Like we coach screwed it up too with the substitutions. We're up nine, but uh, I, I do understand it because when I saw Carolina beat Duke, that was the first thing that came to my mind was, and I had all my buddies texting me that I either played with or were around the program. Like this is just like the OU game. And I didn't even have to say what OU game. And I knew what they were talking about. I will tell you, these, these losses linger longer, right? It doesn't mean it'll hurt Duke in the ACC tournament. It doesn't mean it'll hurt Duke in the NCAA tournament. I'm just telling you that of the memories of those guys on that team, like of the strongest memories of all the games that I played in college, two different schools, well, you know, four different years, the Oklahoma game is probably the most poignant, and it was a loss at home on senior day in the last game in Gallagher Ivory. No, yeah, there's no – look, I'm not blaming it. Total, obviously, you had four guys score 20 points for uh, North Carolina. North Carolina was tougher than hell. But I do I, – I know this. I mean, there is a rhythm that you get into a, as a player. Let me go this route with you. How good – you know, I know we're talking about Duke losing, but now all of a sudden uh, Hubert's got North Carolina going. I mean, how good is Carolina? Um, I think they're pretty good. I mean, look, there was such a dramatic – I do too. I, I thought Hubert – you know, he got, I mean, almost cost himself the game when, uh, when Armando Baycott got, in, got a second foul. He took him out, and he played the kid from Virginia who's barely played, and it was like four on five for a couple minutes there. So they're not deep like ca classic Carolina teams are, but, I mean, um, 
Davis at, at Davis is a really good guard. Leaky Black's got enough. He's got enough minutes in there. Baycott's a very good player. And I think what happens is, like, we all fall into this trap. Right? We fall into this trap of, well, hey, Carolina's just supposed to roll people in the non-conference and then be one of the top couple teams. And then the ACC is down. But remember, as much as the ACC is down, when Carolina comes to town, when Duke comes to town, it's your biggest game, period. So Hubert's figuring out how to be a head coach. They're figuring out how to play for him. And I think if you look at how they trended at the end of the season, they look not just like a tournament team, but one that could be a second weekend tournament team. And I, I think the Carolina thing, and, and really the Duke thing in the next five years is going to be fascinating. Fascinating. Because traditionally, they have both feasted on the elite level high school players. I don't know if that's going to be the way to win uh, big time college basketball games, either in the non-conference or in the NCAA tournament. I just, I don't, because as we've seen, old wins, right? And all these other teams are taking transfers in fifth years. And that's not how Carolina, Duke has done it a little bit more. Carolina started to do it with some limited success, right? Obviously, Brady Manick played really well. There's a grad transfer from Oklahoma. But I'd be fascinated to see programs that traditionally are recruiting the high school All-Americans, how they transition to the new world of the transfer portal and what they do in terms of their recruiting. But for this particular year, yeah, I think Carolina is a little bit better than we thought. And I think, you know, Duke, that's a cautionary tale. And defense that let them down, but I do think it's fascinating that here's a Duke program we all thought could win a national championship, and we were just avoiding the fact that they don't really have a point guard. And I don't think – everybody thinks point guard play, you think of passing and handling pressure, and that's part of it. But it's also setting the tone defensively. Um, and then I think the last part is if you're going to beat Duke, and this is the old Jim Laranega ph- philosophy, Duke doesn't let you run your offense. You try and run your offense, get all cute, they're going to take you out of it. But if you run different types of middle ball screens and attack, even with Mark Williams, who's a terrific defensive player and shot blocker, you do that 100 times in a game, you have a much greater likelihood of success than trying to run any cute plays or sets or whatever. Just do that, and their defense can break down. Make it really, really simple. Spread everybody out, eyeball screen, and read it, and you got a chance. And that's exactly what Carolina did. It was a brilliant game plan. It was excellent execution. And I think it's a little bit of a cautionary tale for Duke. And and it should give you energy if you're North Carolina heading in the ACC tournament and the NCAA tournament. Doug, I don't know how you are, but I don't, I don't necessarily it? root for teams. I root for guys that I, that I know and guys that I like. Why did I find myself rooting hard for North Carolina? I didn't know who I was rooting for, that I was rooting for North Carolina. Why was that? Uh-oh. Did we lose Doug? Hey, hey, Doug, you got me? Yeah. Hey, why did I find myself rooting for North Carolina? Why? What? Why did I find myself rooting for North Carolina? Because every team outside of the Zion Williams, Zion Williamson Duke team <laughs> made you feel that way. <laughs> but, I mean, like, look, that's also how we are. We're contrarians by nature, right? I mean... That, right. that kind of makes us who we are. But right. uh, honestly, can I, can I tell you the real reason? Can I tell you the real reason? Road wins. Tell road me. wins are better than sex. They <laughs> they do. The feeling lasts longer. You can tell your friends about it, right? You can brag about it in open public. 
but that it's a similar type of like anyone who has been in that locker room when you go out there and there is zero expectation and also it's you're playing free because there's zero expectation but road wins are better than sex and you wanted hubert you wanted carolina to win that game because anyone who's ever experienced that type of win knows that that is that's that's honestly probably a better feeling and the and the everything lasts longer than anything outside of getting to a final four winning a national championship like a league championship means nothing compared to winning that game so i mean i think hell nebraska think about what nebraska did yesterday right like wisconsin oh, like was right wisconsin wisconsin showed up they're like we got nebraska we're gonna win the big 10 title outright no problem and nebraska who like they were talking about letting fred go a couple weeks ago they you know they say Trev Albert says he's coming back next year. All of a sudden, they start winning games. But, but that feeling of going into somebody's place when the expectations for everybody are you're going to get your ass kicked and you feel like you don't get a couple calls early, the crowd's against you, the balls feel different, and you still find a way to win the game, that's, that's as good a feeling as there is in sports. I say this all the time, Doug. I say for a coach or a player – there are three great days in your life, wedding day, birth of a child, and a road win. And depending on the bigness of the win, that gives you the order. I mean, you understand yes. what I'm saying? Like, birth of a child's great. Obviously, it's a blessing, all that. Wedding day, you found the love of your life. But I'm telling you, you're North Carolina, and you go into Duke, and you win that one. Love your wife. Love your kids. But that's number one in my – it's sick, right? It's sick, but it's no, true. It's That's the world. And the same, hey, it's how sports. about Michigan? It's, it's Michigan sports. goes in with a, without Hunter Dickinson. They go in, Michigan goes in without Hunter Dickinson and beats Ohio State. What's going on with Ohio State? You know, I, I got a chance for radio to call their win over Illinois. This is like, what, a week and a half ago? And for like 35 minutes, they were awesome against Illinois. Awesome. And then uh, when Kofi fouled out, they actually Illinois started playing and spread them out and almost won. But still, to win that game, to look that good, and, and to look as bad as they have looked since, that's a weird one, right? That, t- that makes no sense to me because I think both you and I think Holt, Holt knows what he's doing. Um, that one, that's a weird, you know, you, it gets weird this time of year. But, yeah, those, those road wins are awesome. They're, uh, they're, they're unbelievable. I, I, got, I saw one earlier this year, St. Mary's, was down 23 to San Francisco. Both are NCAA tournament teams. Um, but uh, Randy, I used to coach Todd Golden, who's Randy Bennett's the head coach in St. Mary's, Todd Golden's head coach in San Francisco. And he changed some things at the, in the end of the first half, made it a little closer, and then they come back and win the game and, and kind of win the game sort of fairly handily. And those type of things, like that's what this, that's what this sport is about. Right? This sport is about the atmosphere. This sport is about figuring out a way to go into somebody else's place. Um, I, I, and the fans and the atmospheres are better this year because they've been shut down for the last year and a half or so. So, yeah, that, that was the Carolina win is a, is a win for the ages. How about this? How about Tyler Hansborough never lost at Duke? Is that crazy? Like, of all the guys, I, I didn't yeah, know So what's, what's funny is we, we do this thing, and I think you tweeted about it, where everything is about some – but he's pro potential now. And I do understand that it's part of the conversation, but it's, it's kind of a different sport and it's kind of a different argument. And there has to be a way in which we can celebrate the college player that may not be 
that may not be a great pro. Oscar Shibwe, right? Like, I don't know what kind of pro he is. He's like a classic throwback power forward in the NBA, but he belongs in the 90s, right? Not in 2022 and beyond. But how do we celebrate that? And I do think that when we look back at the all-time great college players, like Tyler Hansborough at leading Carolina in some, some way for four wins at Cameron Indoor, like that's, that's incredible, incredible. Hey, um, let me go a couple different directions with you. First, you mentioned San Francisco. They've got Gonzaga tonight. Can they can they hang with them? Can they play them? Uh, they can. Their big guy, Ewan Masalski, is really good, and he's a fifth year. He's a transfer from San Diego. They have they have an older backcourt. Um, they got a kid. Uh, they got a kid, kid named Bouye. I swear that's his name. Okay? And he was like a one scholarship kid out of high school. He's in his fifth year. He went from like two a game his freshman year to 17 a game now, Jamari Bouye. Uh, they're a good team. They're starters, I think, three of – they're good enough starter-wise to hang with them. The problem is that you can't – if you watch St. Mary's who beat Gonzaga, I don't believe you can beat Gonzaga going up and down in a high possession. did. You have to limit the number of possessions. So that's not really how San Francisco plays. I think personnel-wise, they're starters. They can hang. There's a bit of a drop-off uh, once when they go to their bench. Uh, and that's, of course, where Gonzaga gets you, is the, the talent of their two big guys. Now, Gonzaga's bench isn't great either now. Their bench is really young, and you can't win with young, especially right now. But I, I think style-wise, it'll be hard for San Francisco. Now, the thing to watch for, for Gonzaga, if you want to try and predict an upset for Gonzaga, either St. Mary's if they play them in the finals of the WCC or in the NCAA tournament, I think, one, you got to be able to match up with their big guys, right? They're, those are two elite players. Um, and you have to be able to limit the possessions. Okay? And you got to have an officiating crew that allows you to be really physical. They're a finesse team. They want to go up and down. They want to play free. And again, I just take the St. Mary's and I know their scanner report and I know how they decide to play. And they spend like the entire year focused on those two matchups and now three matchups with Gonzaga. And they, they know like you, if, if it's a tightly officiated game, you're going to struggle. And if it's an up-tempo game, you're going to get run off the court because they got so much skill and they got so many dudes that can make buckets and they have outstanding clink guard play. So I, I don't think St. Mary's, excuse me, San Francisco can beat them because they like to play a little bit faster um, and their bench isn't good enough. But I, I think it'll be competitive. And then I think the St. Mary's style is the way to beat this Gonzaga team. Did uh, who are your it's regular season's over? You know, we're in the conference tournament and all that kind of stuff. Who, who are your four top seeds? Who's, who are your four seeds, number one seeds, before these conferences? Okay, so what, do I have to go with the, the formula that they use or the formula that you should use? No. I want the Gottlieb formula. I don't care what they use. Well, they, no, I'm, I'm not saying that the Gottlieb formula. I'm like, so there, there's like two different things going on here, right? Like the formula is supposed to figure out, I believe, that the problem with the math and the quad on wins, what it's trying to – what it's trying to show us is, like, how would Murray State look? And I know they won their C, so they're in at 32. But how do they compare with something you can't – like a middle-of-the-pack team in the Big 12, middle-of-the-pack team in the Big 10, right? How do they, so that's what the math is for. 
we use the math, I think, in the wrong fashion. We try and determine who the four best teams are in the country. So let me ask you, Double D. You watch it. I watch it. We both covered it forever. You coached it. We both played it. Okay? If I said, hey, the four best teams in the country are in no particular order, right? I think Kentucky is. I think Auburn is. Um, I, I think uh, Arizona is. I think Gonzaga. Do you have any problem with that? I got no problem with that, no. Okay. Like, no. like, look, I think Kansas winning the league, great. Wisconsin winning the league, great. Okay? I don't believe that Wisconsin is better than any of those four teams. I don't believe Kansas is better than any of those four, four teams. And, and I think Duke, like, there has to be – and I know there's, like, Duke somehow gets a pass on some of these losses. Like, it's like look, that's, a, that's there. That's, that's kind of a big one. And, yes, they have – a couple of quality wins in the non-conference before, but there's some losses there as well. So I would I would put Duke on the two line. I would put Kansas on the two line. I'll put Wisconsin on the two line. You know, I mean, frankly, the Wisconsin thing's hard. You know, with they only played Illinois once and lost to Illinois and split the Big Ten title. But I do think there should be some rewards because they have some quality non-conference wins. So you know, I would consider putting Illinois there and then three line. You're, you got the Baylor's. And, and so on and so forth. So that's that's how I would look at it. I just try and find out, like, who are this is this is what always happens. Okay, what always happens is we argue about teams that deserve a one seed. I'll never forget Washington. This goes back um, 2005, NCAA tournament selection show. And I was in Charlotte for, it was the launch of ESPNU. And I'm on the bracketology show and all of them were screaming, Washington deserves a one seed. Washington deserves one seed. And then once the brackets come out, I was wondering how come no one had Washington in the final four, right? Like if you really think they're one of the four best teams in the country, shouldn't <laughs> somebody pick them to go to the final four, right? So if you really want to tell me that Wisconsin is one of the four best teams in the country or Kansas, one of the four best teams in the country, then pick them to go to the final four. I don't think anybody would. And I think they're both really good. I think Wisconsin has a little bit better shot because they have an absolute alpha in a Johnny Davis. Um, and I don't think that Ochai Abaji is at that level of takeover game guy. And I just I don't think they're strong enough at the point. And, uh, and McCormick just is so up and down this year. I think both coaches have done amazing jobs, but I don't think they're two of the four best teams in the country. Where are you at? Not necessarily as a one seed, but where are you at with a team like Memphis, a team like Villanova, a team like Purdue? Where are you at with those three teams? Three very different teams, right? Purdue is the opposite of most Purdue teams in the past where they just don't guard nearly as well. And, and which is crazy because Ivy obviously is an elite level defensive player, but when you have their big bodies struggle to get out there and move, move your feet. And so they're constantly trying to plug holes. Whereas in the past, that team was really physical and really guard, especially now with college basketball, the physicality returning, it's kind of stunning how much they struggle to guard this year. So Purdue strikes me as a team that, especially if you have bigs that can stretch them out, I, I, that's, they'll, they'll struggle to guard in the NCAA tournament. Uh, Memphis is, I mean, it's kind of classic, right? Like, people thought Penny doesn't know what the hell he's doing. And also people thought that Imani Bates would come in as a reclass and, like, dominate college basketball. And guess what? Penny figured it out. You know, it takes you a while. Figure out your team. What young guys can play, get the old guys to play together. He called him out publicly. He, like, he figured it out. Takes a while. And he's done a great job. And, oh, yeah, by the way, the minute Imani Bates left that team, 
they're the better because of it. Because you need a team that has one agenda, win basketball games. If that's your agenda, you're going to be more successful, right? Teams that have multiple agendas, like my draft stock or whatever, those are the ones that, that struggle because you, you, can't, you can't win that way. Or you, it's going to be really hard to win that way. Um, who's the other team? You had, you had Memphis. Villanova. Oh, Villanova. I, look, I think they're still the best. I think they and I think they and UConn are the two best teams in the East. Um, the Providence story is they won a bunch of close games. They did avoid three games, which you lose a couple of them, and the narrative changes a little bit. I, I like I like Nova. Uh, having seen them in person, there's they're a little bit limited athletically. They don't have you know when they won it, they had pros. Now. Some of them were pros and they fit perfectly in the system. Very good team. I don't think they'll lose in the first two rounds. I do think that they'll they'll top out at Sweet 16 and Elite Eight wouldn't, wouldn't surprise me. But they're just good. They're solid. I don't know if you've been around them. That program, it's, it's people talk about culture all the time. I never see anything like it. Like the buy-in from those kids is incredible, and that's why they will get more out of less than most teams because. They only have one agenda. That's to play for each other. So I like Nova. I think Nova probably wins the Big East tournament. Um, I think they're a second weekend team, but I do think that they top out because there's, there's just a limit, especially like Colin Gillespie is a tremendous college basketball player, but he struggles to get a step sometimes. And, you know, toughness and defense, they can get popped by a team that gets hot because they do give up, you know, they give up some jump shots with how they play defensively. And there's a limit to how much they can score. And, and again, they're a team that doesn't get called for fouls, but fouls a ton and how the game's officiated really matters. I'm going to go last thing I got since I got you here, Doug, because I've not seen Colorado State. I've not seen San Diego State and I've not seen Boise State, but everyone that sees them tells me they're all really good. They're, they're all really good. They're very, very different from one another. Um, let's start with Colorado State because I think they're the best, but they're a team that could be boomer bust in the NCAA tournament because they um, – play a lot of guys and they, they, they shoot a lot of threes and they open the floor up and then they have David Roddy who plays either the four or the five. And he's like one of those unique college basketball players that you look at. He was a football and basketball player in high school in, uh, in Minnesota. And he's, he's just a stud. He can, he can shoot it. Uh, he's not a great scorer from the post, but he's a great passer from the post. And then they have veteran experienced guards. They have a kid, named Chandler Jacobs, who I think you'll really like. He's uh, transferred from Dallas Baptist. He had no scholarship offers coming out of high school. He scored 2,000 points at Dallas Baptist. Then he was going to transfer to Texas Tech uh, for this year, like everybody else transferred to Texas Tech. Changed his mind, comes to Colorado State, and he's a starter, bench guy, whatever. But they have like five guys that can legit hit you for 15 to 20, and then they really open up the floor and, and play nicely together. Um, they have a couple of bigs, but they're not great defensively inside. But they can mask that because their their guards are really athletic and get after you. I like Colorado State, but I, I do think they shoot a lot of threes. And there are times in which, you know, they went down to San Diego State and got just run out of the gym because they couldn't make a shot. But most times, they're they're pretty good. I mean, they look like a Sweet 16 team. Um, San Diego State, there's just times in which they can't score. Uh, they lost, you know, 3,000-point scores from last year. But – they, there's another, there's the culture program 
in the conference that they just kind of figured out and find ways they, they beat Wyoming last week. They've won, I think they won three in six days this past week. And even though it took them overtime to beat Fresno and then they escaped Nevada on Saturday and they beat Wyoming on the road. Like, I don't think people understand for, for college kids, three and six days going all over the country. Like that's really, really difficult. I, San Diego state has really grown on me. Matt Bradley's their best player. He's a transfer from Cal. He's like an undersized four left-handed uh, kind of unique player. They're good. Um, I could see that they're, they're a team that you could, if they get the wrong matchup in the first round, they just can't hit a shot. They score 35 points and lose. But I can also see them get into the second weekend. Boise, um, they they don't shoot free throws well. Uh, but they're big. They hadn't been totally healthy. They're the healthiest they've been now. And Leon Rice does an excellent, excellent job. And, you know, their season kind of changed when Max Rice, his son, started to play he had two off-season surgeries and he kind of hobbles around out there like an old man but they didn't have a lot of shooting so they have two unique players they have uh max rice is an elite shooter and then they have a freshman from spokane who's their their face-up foreman and he's terrific as well like those are all really good teams they're you know again none of them are gonna make the final four but they're teams with with the right matchup you could easily see the mountain west with a couple teams in the in the sweet 16 like I, I think that outside of the gonzagas and the arizonas in the west coast uh, the mount the top of the mountain west the top of the wcc are very very good programs and they're better in many ways than um the non-duke carolina accs i think they're almost on equal footing with the second tier big east clubs and frankly you know the 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 second tier uh big 12 teams are really athletic and get after it, but I don't think they have the scoring that Boise and Colorado State have. Last, last thing. UCLA beat USC. UCLA, where are you at with them going into the tournament? Um, they're interesting, you know? I mean, they have they have had some of that, um, was that the disease of me, you know, in talking to their staff, where you had guys that... yeah. You had guys that weren't well regarded when the staff got there, or when they first started playing, and then of course they improved, 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 go to a final four. But people forget, like they were a first four team last year. Um, but I liked, I like UCLA. I, you know what happens is we we make Johnny Juzang out to be a superstar because he was a superstar for a couple games in the NCAA tournament. He's a really good player. He's probably their their second best player. Um, they're good. They they only have one. One ball handler, like one point guard, that sort of limits them. Um, you know, they have to play a little bit different now where uh, Big Johnson, who's the transfer from uh, Rutgers, is their, is their starting center. So it, it changes how, how they play, and it's kind of four on five with him in, uh, on offense. But they're good. I don't think they'll be back in the Final Four, but they're going to be a hard out for somebody. Th- they can go through times where they struggle to score as well, um, but – I, you know, they're one of those teams that, like, tell me the matchup, and I'll tell you who I think wins. And the USC win was really, really big for them because they'd gotten beat by USC last time around. And, you know, the buy-in in UCLA basketball has been really, really good out here since they went to the Final Four. And I think they needed it to keep that momentum going, and it's mission accomplished. How they proceed now I don't think really changes that. But, again, just kind of locally, that was a, that was a huge win for them. 
Yeah, I figured it was. And I remember we talked about it last week, and you were talking about the same type of stuff. I guess, you know, that is a big win because it it gets them in the right direction. But let's be honest, UCLA, you said it last week, UCLA was a first four team in. So it wasn't like they were coming on any high last year anyway. You know, it's just a matter of they got enough, right? They got enough to be a sweet 16 and and date. Absolutely. I mean, I think think that's, you know, in that league – I think them and Arizona are the only two that, that have that. I mean, Arizona is really the interesting one because, man, they can really score. Man. And um, I like that team a lot. They protect the rim. That Kirk Lisa is fun to watch bringing them up the court. Like, they, they, got a little, they got a little swag to them. And it'll be interesting because, you know, historically, Arizona is very feast or famine in the NCAA tournament. And then, you know, Tommy Lloyd coming over for his first year coming from Gonzaga, has been a little feast or famine, you know, and these kids haven't played in the NCAA tournament. So how, how they react to now being the hunt did, because, you know, when you call those games, I, you're calling those games this year, we do know that when you go into those arenas, a team like Arizona, first half of a game, they're the home crowd, they have all their fans there, they're whatever. I think they're going to be in Portland, right? Um, but if, if it's close all of a sudden now they're playing a road game because everyone's rooting for the higher seed team to lose. So I think how they handle that, uh, Vegas will be interesting to see how they handle all the attaboys because even though people like their team, no one really knew what to expect from Arizona outside of the fact that, you know, Tommy would let them go and let them play up and down, but they've far exceeded anybody's expectations. He's done an amazing job. It's a really fun team to watch, but now the sudden like mid year or at the end of the regular season, you become the hunted, not just in Vegas, but the NCAA tournament. I don't know how they react to that. That's my only question I have with Arizona. Yeah, it's the NCAA tournament's weird, man. I remember going in there, and there was nobody in the building when we played Missouri one year in Boise, and you know because it was, it was in game. You know what I mean? Like they had the one session that was clearing out, and it went over. It's it's a weird. It's a very weird thing most times. Let's, let me put it to you that way. I've kept you too long, my man. I love Mondays with Gottlieb. Mondays with Gottlieb are fun, uh, well, man. Wait, can, we, can we sell it? Can we, can we sell Mondays with Gottlieb? I think we got to. I think we have to. I'm on it. I'm sending emails as, as soon as this show's over. I, I'm getting the Fox people. Let's go. Mondays with Gottlieb on Outkick. Let's go. Thing would sell for a fortune. Yeah. I think so. Gotcha. Appreciate you, Doug. Hi, brother. No, nah, man. That's the great Doug Gottlieb. Uh, I was going to say on the hotline brought to you by uh, the mower shop. But, hey, uh, apparently the whiny-ass Duke assistants are explaining why they didn't shake hands. We'll, uh, we'll get into that. I got a bunch of stuff to get into. I think LeBron James is becoming a great, but I think Vogel and James and his whole crew are looking weak on Russell Westbrook. This is the best hoops week of the year. It is. And I'm not sure I like anything to bet tonight, but I'll give you two. We're winning money this week. We're winning $4,500 this week. Don't at me. We'll be right back. Hey, welcome back. As, uh, well, yeah, as the stock market continues to plummet, plummet <laughs> and people keep defending it, uh, I'm here to talk to you about hoops, hoops, and more hoops. Um, here's a deal couple of things that I want to get into. Number one, I, look, 
whatever happened to coaches coach your team? What, whatever happened to, hey, uh, I'm going to coach the team. And you guys play, you GM, you coach, and away we go. Well, it doesn't happen anymore. And right now, for whatever the reason, the Los Angeles Lakers are a mess, right? And I think Magic Johnson, well, I know Magic Johnson called it the worst trade maybe in Laker history, bringing Russell Westbrook over to the Lakers. And every day there are these articles about Frank Vogel. Frank Vogel, he is asking, can he bench Westbrook? I love that he already has. I think it's fantastic. All right? The Lakers, apparently, the hires up, want Frank Vogel to bench Russell Westbrook. And you know what? Here's the deal. You want to win, don't you? I watched this guy Westbrook play for years, and I always thought, man, that's great. He's good enough to get you fired. He's good enough to get you fired. Well, there is an increasing push, according to Woj, from the higher-ups of the Lakers to get and put Russell Westbrook on the bench. Frank Reich, I'm reading it right here, has resisted that move. He started, had 20, all right. Well, one of the reasons you resist that move is because you're weak. Don't be weak. When's the last time? Think about this. When's the last time in the NBA, Major League Baseball, the NFL, the NHL, hell, you could even, I don't know, when's the last time in professional sports did a weak leader win? Hell, you can go, when's the last time in a war a weak leader won? I mean, you know, weak leadership gets your ass beat. And if you are not strong enough to stand up when everyone around you knows what needs to be done, then you're a weak leader. You just are. And I think the Lakers look very, very weak here, particularly at the top. And look, is the idea to win? If the idea is to win and to win big, then you have to, as a coach, as a staff, as an operation, do whatever it takes to win within the rules, but whatever, if it means hurting someone's feelings, tough. I don't know what else to tell you. If it means you're paying a superstar X number of dollars and you've got to hurt his feelings, tough. Tough. It's that simple. It, the Indianapolis Colts changed because Ryan Grigson was too mean. He was a meanie. All right? Fine. Well, they went overboard, and they hired these nice PR guys, have been in the playoffs one time, five years, have not won a division in the weakest division in football. Weak leadership sucks. Weak leadership is the worst. I don't subscribe to it. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to know about it. If you're weak, I hope you get your ass beat, and I hope that you're out of a job. I don't think Frank Vogel is weak necessarily. I don't. I've always been a Frank Vogel fan, but I got to tell you, This is some weak stuff. This is unbelievably weak. I mean, if you know it hurts winning, then you should not have the job. If you might mean confrontation with a, quote, great player, and I don't want it, you shouldn't have the job. Just saying. Uh, Best week in college basketball. Doesn't really start today. There's some decent games here. Santa Clara, St. Mary's, all that kind of stuff. San Francisco, Gonzaga. My head is still freaking uh, suffering from Florida last week, two weeks ago. But here's where it gets sexy. 
Look, I've said this before, I'll say this again, and I will never stop saying it. Let me go through this. Boston College, Pittsburgh at 2 o'clock. Shit game, I know, but still, a game at 2 o'clock, 4 o'clock, North Carolina State, Clemson, 5 o'clock, Ryder, Manhattan, and then you've got games tomorrow all day long. Wednesday, same thing, and frankly, it only gets better because it starts at 11.30 Eastern time. And then, that's Toledo, excuse me, that is, uh, wait a second, hold on, hang, hang on, caller, I went to Thursday. Thursday's so good, but this is the best. Syracuse, Florida State at noon, LaSalle, St. John, all these games, we got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, we got 20 games before 6 o'clock Eastern time, and then at 6 o'clock, I'm telling you, I'm telling you right now, go to my Twitter account, at Dan Dockage. Yeah, I don't care if you're mad because I don't take people's garbage. I don't care if I hated your team because I don't care if I left West Virginia. Stop it. Don't be stupid. This is about money here. I'm going to make you so much money this week that you are going to say to me, Dockage, I used to hate you, now I love you. Dockage, you were mean to my Illini. Now I love you. Dockage, you weren't respectful to Sparty. Now I love you. Guarantee it. Guarantee it. Promise you. This is my week, ladies and gentlemen. Everybody can do the NCAA tournament. And we'll have a, uh, we'll try to put out a, uh, you know, one of those things on ESPN. You know, an outkick show. Uh, What is it? Bracket challenge. We'll do that. But I got to tell you. This is my week. I'm going to win you, and I'm going to keep track. I swear to God this time I will keep track because all I do is win money this week. Now, you're going to be mad because I may bet against your team, but here's what you need to do. You need to shut the hell up. You just need to shut the hell up, period, and away you go, and just win money. Just sit down and win money. You know, one of the things, so the other day, uh, I get this, right? So the other day I put out in-game. In-game, I'm watching the Purdue game, and I'm so tired of people. But I'm watching the Purdue-Indiana game, and they're showing a loss. They're showing Purdue lose to um, Duke. And I, it was in-game. And I asked a simple question. Has Purdue ever beaten – and I, re- I phrased it wrong. I should have just said, has Purdue beaten a good team in the NCAA tournament – Uh, since 1980. That gives you 40 years. There's like three. There's like three. It wasn't a shot. It was, I watched Purdue. Now, uh, Purdue sits there and whines about, well, the baby boiler. Shut up. Well, if Robbie Hummel didn't get hurt, shut up. Shut up. Uh, 1980, Purdue went to the NCAA tournament. Our NCAA Final Four right here in Indy. All right, fine. So, what happened? Well, guess what? They haven't beaten, they haven't been close since. One time they were close. They were close against Virginia a few years ago. All right. So I ask a simple question the amount of hate. Oh my God, the amount of hate. Well, what's all you doing? I don't know. I use not in a tournament. What do you want me to tell you? I use not in a tournament. Well, what's, what tournaments are you in? They haven't won any. They're not in a tournament. Now answer my question. It's the same thing as Biden. It's like when you say something about Biden, immediately what comes up? Well, what Trump do? It's not about Trump. I'm asking you about Biden. I'm asking you about Purdue. Here, Bryson Lakin. Has IU played in the tournament? No. Okay, no. It's, uh, no, they haven't in six years, and they may not make it this year. 
Yeah, it's really funny. Some ladies of Purdue said, well, why the hate? Hate now is defined. This is the society we live in. I can't be a part of this society, by the way. Hate is now. Well, uh, you asked what tournaments or what teams we beat in a tournament. That's hate. Okay. All right. Apparently, that's hate. Some lady said, Dan, I knew you from NIFS. I wasn't at NIFS, National Institute of Fort, uh, in 20 years. But okay. Uh, why all the hate? No, it's not hate. It's just I'm asking you a question. They beat number two, Tennessee, in 2019. This is the answer you get, too, from Purdue. Chris Kelly. Uh, like two, number two, Tennessee, in 2019, lost on a last-second prayer and a slow clock to eventual national championship Virginia. Again, I'm asking you who you beat. You know what I mean? Like, who, who you be? Since 1980. I, yeah, I don't know. Here's the other answer. Indiana is quad two wins. Oh, okay. Who'd you beat? <laughs> I mean, it's, ama- it's amazing how the most insecure of us, whether it's politics or sports, do the same thing. In politics, hey, man, why, why are gas prices through the roof all of a sudden when Joe Biden's the president and when they went down a few cents, they were bragging on how the president about six weeks ago got him down. Well, what Trump do? He, he said, grab your... Okay, I'm not asking about Trump. Insecurity breeds stupidity. I should put that on a t-shirt. Here's the other. But I thought you said IU fans don't care about Purdue. I don't know what to tell you. It is amazing. It is. If you're sitting out there insecure as hell, it's the same exact thing. It is. It is the same. Jim Sproul, I thought you loved us. Okay, I asked a question. Here, Logan. It's always guys named Logan. Uh, When's the last time IU beat someone in the tournament? They struggled to get there. Okay, I'm just asking you. I mean, it, it, again, it is ha, Captain Boiler. Has any IU team beaten any team? Uh, okay, no, they haven't. No, no. The answer, my answer is no. But when you're secure in who you are, you just say, no, we haven't. That's fine. Now I'm asking you. <laughs> Boiler Dodd, remember when you guys should have beaten Syracuse? No, yeah, I wasn't there. It's not you guys. I, I wasn't there. I didn't play. Like, if I'm not at a 6 a.m. practice, then I didn't play. But, hey, look, when you're so insecure, don't let your fan base be insecure. Like, don't. Don't let your fan base be so ridiculously insecure that you have to not answer a question, a simple in-game question. I'm watching. I know Robbie Hummel's hurt. Robbie Hummel didn't win a sectional in high school. So all of a sudden, he's going to win a national championship? Uh, Juwan Johnson didn't win a sectional in high school. All of a sudden, these guys are going to win national. Stop it. Stop with the excuses. Simple question. I love Robbie Hummel. I love Juwan Johnson. I love covering their team. But there's no excuses. Don't be. You think Duke's insecure? Michigan State's insecure as hell. They're the other one that fits in that little brother deal. But let's be honest. You think UConn, when they had Calhoun, was insecure? Think North Carolina's ever been insecure? UCLA, don't let your, your, don't let your program be insecure. 
That is the quote of the day. That's one of the great quotes of all time. Insecurity breeds stupidity. But who's, Indiana has, let's make it clear, Indiana has beaten nobody. And on, unless they can beat Michigan, I think it's Michigan they play, in the first round of uh, the Big, uh, Big Ten tournament, they're still not beating anybody this year. They've lost. I, I'm secure enough to say that. Hell, I got seven Big Ten and national championship rings up there. I, I, I'm secure enough. They might be dusty, but they're still there. Don't let your team be insecure. Don't let it. No, it was a, one of the funnier things. Well, you used to love Purdue. Why the hate? Uh, no. uh, Dan, to find a good team, top four seed, they've beaten four of those since 1980. There you go, Nick. Very good. That's nice. There is a secure human being who looked it up and said, all right. So anyway, this is my favorite week. I am not starting this week out bad. So I'm telling you right now, I am not making a bet. I am not giving you a fade here on fade dockage. That's it. See, Brandon Wright, comparing winning a high school to a Division I is yikes. No, 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 it's not, Brandon. I can tell you never coached or played. Because there's a reason coaches want to take players from championship programs. I mean, look at the dossier on kids that are playing at Duke, North Carolina, India, state finals, state championship. If you don't understand it, Brandon, I can't help you. That's fine. I got no problem with that. I don't expect you to understand. I don't. I don't expect it. Not even a little. You can't understand it. But that's why you watch this show, so I can explain it to you, right? I, I'm, and just because you won doesn't mean that you're not you're going to win in college. It doesn't. Of course not. That's idiotic. But there is a correlation to guys that won stuff in high school and won again in college. Now, it's lessened over the last five to ten years because of the proliferation of uh, prep schools, but there's absolutely no question. Like we say, oh man, dude didn't even win a sectional. Why is that? It's like Urban Meyer when he was on this show. He, t- he would ask a coach, he's got a left tackle that he's recruiting, that the coaches tell him, you got to take this kid. So you watch game film and it's third and one, but they don't run over the left tackle. Of course it equates. It always equates. I mean, I, look, I understand. I, you, what most people like this branding guys, just stand, just listen to the show, get educated, and don't try to participate. Or participate by saying, yeah, that's right. Because you're getting brilliance here every morning from 9 to 11. You may not understand it. You may be mad about it because you get on this uh, and you want to be mad at me because you didn't like Purdue. You said bad things. The thing with Indiana is at Indiana, I'm like, uh, well, he didn't get the interim head coaching job, so he hates us. I put my daughter through Indiana. I give money to Indiana. But when Indiana stinks, I tell you, they stink. I'm here every day, people. I'm here every day. I'm here every day. Uh, Oh. That's, uh, never mind. Robbie Hummel did win a sectional. I stand corrected. 
I'm putting it in right now. I stand corrected. Regional? How about a regional? I mean, anyway, whatever. People can get mad at me, but I'm just saying. There's no, like, Indiana, we sit around. Here's what we do at Indiana. Well, you know, if Scott made him break his arm, if Scott made him break his arm in 75, we win a national championship. Might, that one you might, because they were undefeated. In 92, or 93, excuse me, if Alan Henderson didn't tear up his knee, we win a national championship. That one's a little tough. That one's a little bit tough. Uh, in 1980, if Mike Woodson was healthy all year, we'd have won a national championship. I don't know. If Landon Turner hadn't gotten in a car wreck, we'd have won a national championship. It's all easy to say. In 93, we were number one in the country. Ted Kitchell got hurt. That's what my, my point is that. My point is, like, everybody, every school's got this. You know, with Purdue, it's an injury here, an injury there. With Indiana, it can be. But every school's got this. And you know what we saw yesterday? We saw yesterday where, frankly, teams overcame, and it was cool. It was really cool to watch. I hated it because I'm a huge, huge fan of Chris Holtman. But, man, it was interesting to see Hunter Dickinson without, without Hunter Dickinson. It was interesting to see what Michigan was able to do. It was interesting to see after two kids got the boot for, uh, what's it called, um, uh, but, 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 but Nebraska, it was interesting to see, very interesting to see what happened with Nebraska going into Wisconsin. I mean, damn. It was fast. So I, excuses, hey, look, the only excuse I make is that five of my 10 years in coaching, I lost my two best players. Th- th- I'm sorry, seven of my, t- I get it confused. Seven of my 10 years, I lost my two best players. Five of my 10, I lost my three best players, and we still were over 500. So there you go. But anyway, of course it equates. I mean, coaches always want winners. They just do. And, you know, if you don't understand that, I cannot help you. All right, going to be interesting, going to be a great week. I'm going to make us so much money this week. I cannot wait. I'm going to tell you who I'm betting on, the amount I'm betting on. We're going to put juice into it. And look, if you follow me and you lose, that's on you. I'm just telling you what I'm doing because Danny D is going to work till three, come home and start studying this because this is my week, damn it. It's my week. Have a great afternoon, Ryan, Dylan. Thank you guys very much. We will be right here tomorrow, and hopefully my head stops shedding. Hey, I am on noon to 3, coming up at 107.5 The Fan. If you need a little more of me, Sean Black and all of you on the YouTube chat, have a great afternoon. See you.